we're in a series that uh, it's like essentially around two words on mission, and we've been talking about it for the past couple months. Um, I'm, I'm going to be concluding the the series today, and uh, I feel like I, I literally, as as we've been walking through this together, it's been like. God just says, no, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And so um, I feel like this word that I have for you today is a little different than, um, than maybe even the, the past messages that I've shared because I feel like it, um, it's born out of what the Lord's been teaching me over the past six weeks specifically. Um, and so I'm going to speak to you guys uh, from the topic of dreaming with God and um, I don't know about, but does anyone in here always remember their dreams? Like when you, when you wake up in the morning, are you the, that, you're that person? It's okay, be proud. My sister-in-law wakes up every morning with a crazy dreams that she just loves to share, all the amazing things that happen in her dreams. I never remember my dreams. Is anyone else with me there? I see that hand. There's a whole grove here on the front. They, they're just, they don't remember. Um, I never remember. It has to be like a God dream or, or else... Um, or else I don't remember anything that, that I dream. And what I want to talk to you about today has, when I say dreaming with God, has less to do with the weird things that, that happen when you sleep uh, and, has, and has more to do with the ability to see what can be in the midst of what is. That's what I mean when, I, when we talk about dreaming with God, seeing with God's eyes what can be in the midst of, of what is. And so it's really like the faith to believe that there's more, even though you may be disappointed, even though you're in a place of like, this is not the way that it should be, but believing, having faith that there is, that there, there's more. It, it's not just passively receiving um, a vision, like in, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's like, I had the craziest dream. It's, it's like actively joining in discovering God's purposes and then aligning your life with that. Um, dreaming with God. And what continually astonishes me about, I've been in this thing for, uh, for, for a couple decades now of just following Jesus, and um, what astonishes me is that he tells us what he wants to accomplish, but he leaves the how oftentimes up to us. Um, when we talk about the Great Commission, right? Like he's like, this is what I want you to do, but how many of you know there's so many different expressions of how how it happens. I was thinking about this, like my, my, my daughter, when she was really young, she wanted to, to cook. And so if you've got little kids, I think she was probably, I don't even know, like four or five years old, and she wanted to, to actually cook. She didn't want mom and dad to help. And so we were like, well, let's make some chocolate chip cookies. And she was like, I want to do it myself. She really wanted to follow the recipe, make them herself. And so we gave her the recipe, um, tried to stay out of her way, and of course, there's like spills and messes, and I'm not good with spills and messes, and questions along the way, like how much of this, and I don't, you know, all those different things. But she did it, and it was it's awesome. So she puts, the, puts them in, they, they come out of the oven, and um, the first batch comes out, and she's like, Dad, we want to try the first batch. I'm like, yeah. And they look a little weird, but I'm like, they're good. I mean, I can't, how can you mess up chocolate chip cookies? Really? I mean... I've had bad chocolate chip cookies, but they're all good. I mean, it's chocolate chip cookies. Come on. Like, and so I, I take one, and I'm like, huh, cool. And I take a bite out of it, and I swallow it. And I've never had this experience before. It was like instant heartburn. So weird. I was like, oh. 
Oh, gosh. It hurts. Like, it, it was painful. It was the most painful chocolate chip cookie I've ever eaten. And so I was like, what could this be? Like, what, was she poisoned me? Like, what's going, what's going on here? And so I'm like, babe, how much, how much baking soda did you put in this? She's like, what it said, Dad? One cup. <laughs> I was like, that's how it comes. It comes in about a cup box. Like, you don't put, you, it's a teaspoon. You put a teaspoon in this. So literally, I'm like, okay, um, well, this is not what, what I was expecting. Um, and, I, and I was thinking about that. Like, I think how patient God is with us to invite us into taking an active role with him on mission, where he's like, this is what I want to do. Let's bake cookies. And then we're like, well, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And he's like, okay, great. You, I'm just so glad that you're wanting to cook with me, and let's, let's just let's get this thing done. And he tells us what he wants, but how it happens is left up to us. And so there's all kinds of misreading of the recipes and spilling of milk and measuring what shouldn't be measured and all of these different things. And yet, and yet God seems completely at ease, fully realizing that he's working with a hot mess like you and me. In fact, what astonishes me is that's his plan. Like, that's plan A. Use us to do this. And I honestly think that he just loves cooking with us. Like, he just loves that we're in the kitchen with him. I, he doesn't care that there's spilled milk and, man, you put way too much baking soda in there. But the effort was amazing, right? Like, I'm just glad that you tried. I am so excited that even though you screwed it up, you, you, you tried your best, and we'll, we'll do better next batch. Um, I, I, I just feel like when it comes to dreaming with God, it's so much like that. Like, he's just so excited that we're in the kitchen with him. And so when we talk about this mission, like, that we're living on mission, we've been talking about it for two months, like, I want to just remind you and bring you back to a scripture of like, what is that mission? Like, what is that, what is that thing that Jesus was about? What is that thing that he preached? What is that thing that he did when he was here on earth and that he expects us to continue in this great commission? So think back with me. Jesus gets baptized. Immediately after he's baptized, he goes into the desert for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan. He comes out of the desert. He's hungry and thirsty. He goes into the synagogue. They give him a scroll the Bible says that he opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he reads this scripture. We find it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I'll read it for you. This is what Jesus read to all the people in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's his mission? He just says it. Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Proclaim recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then that very next verse, verse 20, says that he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes about doing it. Everywhere he went to whoever he met, like, he did that. And he still does it today. He's done it in many of your lives, and he's done it in mine. And what's interesting is the next verse in Isaiah, he didn't read it, at least it doesn't say that he read the rest of it, um, to the synagogue. 
But I want to read it for you. It's the very next verse, Isaiah 61, verse 4. And this is what it says. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Right after, he's like, the Spirit of the Lord, Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom of the prisoners, recover a sight of the blind, you know, set the oppressed free, and then they will rebuild. So who are they? They are anyone who has been touched by Jesus. And they are those who were the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, the addicted. They is you. And, and once they are set free, then they go back to rebuild their city. I say this is a different message because it's like, I feel like it's a message that we don't talk about much. I feel like it's a message that like the church has lost in its, in its zeal to put more butts in seats, thinking that that's the win, but forgetting the mission. You're blessed to be a blessing to others. Amen. You're healed to proclaim healing over other people. Um, you're, you're not just saved for you. You're, you're saved to live on mission, to bring the message of Jesus to the oppressed, the sick, the hurting, the, the poor, the, the blind, um, to pay it forward what Jesus has done in you. Last week, we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we talked about the, the faith hall of fame, right? With, like all these people like, just did amazing things for God. Like we talk about Moses, talk about Abraham, we talk about Noah, we talk about Elijah, all these great men and women who have taken great steps of faith. What's interesting is the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he just names all of the people in the faith hall of fame. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, first of all, when you see therefore, you should ask about what is therefore. It's because of what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people in the Faith Hall of Fame, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews literally says, like, all of these men, all of these women, all of these people that are in the Faith Hall of Fame, like, they are now our great cloud of witnesses, which is crazy to me. The question you should be asking is, like, well, what are they witnessing? What are they looking for? What are they watching right now? It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews takes this, the great cloud of witnesses, and then he immediately begins start talking about a race. I imagine it almost like a relay race. Do you realize, like, like I used to, I was not a good runner, but I was um, in track. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would run relay races. And do you, do you realize that, like, they would always say the best runner for last. 
Because the, the first three, I was usually like the first or second, maybe. I don't really, really know. But you, you run the race, but the last runner determines the prize that the whole team gets. Isn't that cool? In other words, I believe what even the writer of Hebrews is talking about here in chapter 12, verse 1, is that you have been set up for success. This is our finest hour. We have been given, we have been handed a baton, a measure of faith from those that have gone before us. And these faith hall of famers and the, and the men and women, your grandparents, those who led you to Jesus Christ and have gone on to be with him are watching, are waiting, are cheering us on to see what we're going to do with our last lap. And the baton that that they have handed us. They're watching, they're waiting to see what we do with what they've passed down to us. See, Jesus knew what his mission was, but the, but the role in continuing that mission is to be a hope carrier in your sphere of influence, where you're at. As spirit-filled Christians, we are hope carriers into our culture. Let me read it for you again. Amen. Isaiah 61, 4 says this. They, that's you, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. We, church, are rebuilders, renewers, and restorers of the culture. That's who we are. That's who you are. We are blessed to be a blessing we are set free to free others. We, we are literally healed to proclaim healing to the hurting. We are given hope to be a hope carrier to those who have none. And that God calls us to take this blessing, to take our, our freedom, to take our talents, to take our gifts, to take our passions, all of these things, and apply them to rebuild, to restore, and to renew a broken, hurting, and oppressed world. Let's never settle for how many butts and seats did we have on Sunday? Like, I wonder, when I talk about this, like, do you see the church like that? Hope carriers bringing everything that God's done in us to build, restore, and to renew a culture? Maybe an even greater question is this. Do you think the world sees the church like that? Like so often, I think that the church may see its role as, and its responsibility in culture, not as rebuilders, restorers, and renewers, but as critics, as spectators, and as grumblers. <laughs> and if that's the case, I'm afraid that we have grossly misread our job descriptions. Because Jesus reminds us time and time and time and time and time again that we are the ones that are called to influence the world. He calls you salt of the earth. He calls you a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He calls you the light of the world. Amen? Not only are we these three, renewers, restorers, like rebuilders. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Let me tell you one more thing you are. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says that you are Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? Ambassadors are essentially resident foreigners. 
They, they live in a place, yet they are citizens of another kingdom. They are citizens of another government. Amen. They live in it, but not of it. And so they live according to the culture, to the ways, to the ideology of their home citizenship. And so when we're called Christ's ambassadors, it means that, that you and I have been commissioned to bring the kingdom of heaven near. Wherever we go, wherever we walk, we bring the kingdom of heaven to this world on earth as it is in heaven. It isn't just something that we pray. It's something that, we're, that we do. And so that we're not just rebuilders and restorers and renewers. We are essentially, the word, we, we, we represent, or maybe just say it a little bit slower, we represent Jesus. We not only represent him, we represent Jesus, represent the kingdom of God. It's time for the church to represent the gospel to a culture who has lost its way, to represent the kingdom of God and its values to a culture who sees it as completely irrelevant. I don't know about you, but this seems like a large task. It's huge. Like, even when Jesus said it, even when we read it in Isaiah, like, you're telling me that we, we are called to represent Jesus that we are called to rebuild, to renew, that we're called to restore a ruined city. I, I can't do that on my own. Exactly. You, you can't do it on your own. That's why Isaiah said, they, not you. That you are part of they. And not just a church of attendees, but like, the body of Christ who is at work representing Jesus to a broken world to renew, rebuild, and restore it. I think of Nehemiah. Um, so Nehemiah gets this vision. If you remember in the book of Nehemiah, he gets a vision to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. He has this God-given dream, essentially, let's just say it, to rebuild, to restore, and to renew the ruined walls around Jerusalem. But he knew he couldn't do it on his own because he's one guy. How the heck is he supposed to be able to, to build up all these? Well, he doesn't even know how to build walls, right? Like he just has a heart and a vision to see something happen in this city. So what does he do? I'll tell you what he did. He split the wall into 41 sections, some big, some smaller, and he put families in charge of their own section, the section that was right in front of them. Each family was responsible for the section of the wall that was right in front of them. And each section was built at the very same time. Everybody just started building their sections of the wall at the same time. Each family was representing their part of the whole by, by caring for, rebuilding, restoring, and renewing the ruins that were right in front of them. That was the role of each of these families that were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. I want to I show you um, a picture that I kind of put together. Um, go ahead and show that. Just take a look at that for a second. Of the kingdom of God in the center, a movement of hope, and all of these different areas of culture around it. Each one of these represent a different expression of culture. Essentially like outposts of the kingdom of God. Now, Every single one of us has one or more of these spheres of influence in our life right now. 
that we are called to rebuild, to restore, and to renew, and to represent Jesus in. So my question, and I want, I'm going to put this up here a few times for you today. What is that section of the wall that God has called you to help rebuild? What is your sphere of influence that God longs to dream with you about? What area of culture has he placed you in to be a carrier of hope into? Because you are a citizen of heaven, an ambassador, a missionary, a Christ ambassador, living on mission in a sphere of culture to be a hope carrier in that area of culture. So which one is it for you? Maybe it has to do with your stage in life. Maybe it has to do with areas of interest. Maybe it has to do with your career, your job. Maybe it just has to do with a position that you currently hold. I don't know what, what that is for you, but I just encourage you to begin to dream what would it look like if I brought the kingdom, carried the hope of God into the area of influence that God has placed me in. God, what would that look like? Begin to dream with him about if, if I truly am a hope carrier, what would it look like if I brought the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God nearer to that area? Let me read for you. Just keep it up there for a second. Just keep praying into it. Romans 15, 13. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation, so it's not going to be up on the screens. It says this, Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. The beauty of the kingdom is that hope is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Hope is the confident expression of the goodness of God. My prayer, I believe Paul's prayer even for the Romans, is that you as followers, as hope carriers, would radiate with hope. I titled the message today, Hope Carriers, because that's who you are, a hope carrier. What do I mean by that? It's simple. It's a disciple of Jesus living on mission to change their world. A disciple of Jesus living on mission to change their world. It's a Christian. The answer to the world's problems are found in the culture of the kingdom of God. That heaven holds the answers to sickness and despair, to impossibilities and generational curses, to addiction, to oppression and poverty and every issue that the world is facing. And as you take a look at those areas of culture, what I love about this, this kind of picture here is that there's, there's no dividing lines between like, sacred and secular. There's no dividing line between, oh, this is the religious part of my life and then the everyday life. Between Sunday, what I do on Sunday, and then what, what I do with the other 167 hours of my week. Like, this is culture. And you have been placed in a sphere of influence in our culture, and you have a section of the wall that is in front of you. Your role as a hope carrier is not to stare at the devastation of our culture. 
your, your role as a hope carrier is not to wait for a politician to fix it for you. Your role as a hope carrier is to dream with God about what would it look like if, 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 the, if the kingdom of God was brought nearer to, to my part of the earth as it is in heaven. What would that look like? God, give me a vision for that. Give me a vision of how, like, of what, what it would look like to bring you closer in that area of my influence. Because whether you, whether they realize it or not, the, the city should be looking to the church for answers, for help. I was thinking about this this past week. I was talking with someone like, let us not forget that historically, the church was the solution to society's problems. It was the church who led the way in adopting unwanted babies. It was the church who started the first schools. It was the church who opened the first hospitals. My fear is that especially, I can really just speak for the American church and what I see around me, is that the American church has abdicated its God-given responsibility and settled for church services that soothe its consciousness. I feel like the Lord is saying to her bride, it's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. Like it is your role in the earth to rebuild, to restore, to renew, and to represent Jesus in your area of culture, to dream with God about what that could look like. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come through you where his will is not currently being done? That God has entrusted you to bring his kingdom into the culture, that you have been handpicked by God to carry his hope to the lost, the lonely, and the broken places of this world. Church, it's time to dream again. I, um, in your notes, it says this, that we are dreamers living on mission with God. And the first point I wrote down was, tend the garden that God has placed you in. Tend the garden that God has placed you in. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds, in the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God essentially said to Adam and Eve, dream. This is what I want you to do, but you get to name them. <laughs> God, God has given each of us a garden to rule and to reign over. And you can't change the world, but you can tend your garden. Amen? You can bring the kingdom of God into your sphere of influence that you have, which means, which means that you're not just doing a job, which means that you're not just going to school, which means that you're not just living in that neighborhood. You're not just playing on that team. You're not just posting online. You're not just going through the motions. You were created, placed, and positioned for so much more. And so tend the garden that God has placed you in. Begin dreaming about what it would look like to bring heaven as it, as it is in heaven to earth. In other words, begin questioning. Here's some questions for you to think about. 
Why don't you put that, put that picture up one more time? Take a look at it. Who's deciding the standard and, and, and what's considered normal in this area of your life? The one that, the one that you're focused on right now. Are you asking God what his standard is in this area of your life? Are you inviting his ways, his word, his, his kingdom, his dreams into this area of your life? Or are you living down to the standard of what the world says is normal? Well, this is just the way it is. This is the way things are. It, why, what, what should my marriage and family look like if God's kingdom was brought into it? How am I judging what is ethical when it comes to business? Am I just looking at what the world says is ethical? Or am I asking God? Like, God, give me dreams of how I could leverage my responsibility in government greater for your glory. How can I just not just play a sport so that I can put marks up on a scoreboard, but more leave an imprint on my teammates or the people that are watching? What does that look like? Psalm 126.1 says this, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. I love this scripture. He's like, man, when we came, when, when we came out of slavery, we were like those who dream. The second point is this, dreaming is what free people do. You know what? Slaves don't dream. People in bondage don't dream. Dreaming is what free people do. Um, what is dreaming with God? Dreaming with God is essentially seeing God's kingdom come where his will is not currently done and then using our gifts and our passions and our talents and the resources of our life to make that happen. I am... Um, I want to share something with you as an update. Um, I had this, uh, I've had this dream for about three years now, a little over three years. And um, it's for a Hope Center in downtown Biddeford. And um, I see it as like uh, a place that would bring the anointing of God into the city uh, to rebuild, to restore, and to renew the devastation that many are experiencing, meeting the felt physical needs, the felt emotional needs, so that we can bring the greatest, most significant need to them, which is the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like, um, the past three years, I have tried to stop thinking about it. <laughs> I have tried to get it out of my mind. I've tried to convince myself that um, it's a bad idea. It's too big of an idea. It's an idea that somebody else should do. Um, but how many of you know that when God puts a dream on the inside of you, you just can't shake it? In fact, the more you try to shake it off, the more it sticks yeah. to you. So full disclosure, I'm horrible <laughs> at dreaming. I, I historically have been so insecure about dreaming, especially dreaming out loud. It's just a place of of, of intense insecurity around uh, with me. You can ask my wife. Like, I'm horrible. You know, like, every year at, like, our, uh, our anniversary, we go out to dinner, and she'd want to play this game. She'd say, you know, um, why don't we, like, where, where do you see us in five years, ten years? And I'm like, she loved it. It would just, 
it would just bring fear, utter like, I, I, don't, I don't know, because I, I don't want to speak it out, because what if, what if it doesn't happen, that it's not true, it didn't work, and all the, I'm historically horrible at dreaming out loud. So a little over a month ago, about six weeks ago, I received this prophetic word from a friend in India. They came and they were visiting. And this was the word. He says, I see you standing in front of a huge blank canvas. And there is paint, like all kinds of paint right down here, all kinds of oil paint. And he says, I see you standing there just hesitating, like unsure of what to do, where to start, how to, what you're going to paint here and all this stuff. And he says, the Lord said, just start painting. Make a mess of it. Paint with all the colors. And I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment. It was almost like it had, like the Holy Spirit had had enough of my insecurity. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, Justin, just say it. Just say it. <laughs> so I did. Um, it's about five weeks ago. Um, that next week, I, I, I mentioned it in a message about a Hope Center, and, um, and I soft-served it, man. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I just, I spent 30 seconds on it, maybe. I just, I just threw it out there, soft-served it. And let me just tell you, and this is where I just want to brag on, the, on God, the next week, I had person after person after person after person after person. I just received an email just two days ago from somebody saying, hey, uh, I want to be a part of that hope thing that you talked about. I don't remember, like you didn't really t describe it, but I'd, I'd love to be a part of that. <laughs> um, I've had God speak to, to two couples so far um, to give towards it, something that doesn't exist. And when I say this, I mean this, I'm absolutely astounded at how God connects the hearts of his people to the vision that he has for a city. Over a quarter of a million dollars of donation to begin to move forward in this. From, from God just saying like, just say it, just say it and watch me work. I had a, a meeting with the mayor this past week and I have a meeting scheduled with the mayor, the city manager, and the planning director of our city to, <laughs> I didn't even ask for the meeting. Um, they said, we won't, what, let, they, they scheduled it. They said, we, we, we'd like to meet with you. Like, what in the world? When you talk about like favor with God and man, right? Like none of this I could have done. None of it. Um, all I've done is chosen to just dream with God about what is in his heart for the city. And what I do know is that he is about rebuilding, renewing, and restoring it. I do know that he is longing to be represented to a world who thinks the church has become irrelevant. And the Lord will connect people, and he'll connect finances, and he'll connect talents, and gifts, and passions, and all of those things to make it happen. And I will say this, and, and then I'll move on. I, I would not have said this about myself six weeks ago, but I... I feel like I'm a dreamer now. <laughs> like, like, God's just like, I'm like waiting. I'm, July 29th is my anniversary. I'm like, what's the five-year plan, babe? Let's have this, let's, let's go after this, right? We see ourselves in 10 years. I'm going to bring it up. I'm not going to be like, oh, God, I hope she doesn't. I hope she forgets. I hope she doesn't say it. Because free people dream.
In fact, one of the first things that happens to you when you, when you get saved is you begin to dream. <laughs> See things outside of your current circumstance. Psalm 37, 4 says, take, a, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Number three is this, dreamers delight in the Lord. This is often misunderstood as like, well, God, you have to give me whatever I want because I asked it for you, right? But don't miss what our desires are predicated upon. He says, take delight in the Lord. In other words, whatever you are delighting in will dictate what you desire. What do I mean by this? I mean this, when, when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then you will not need to find your delight in the things of this world. Even the word desire, right? Desire. D meaning of or from, sire meaning father, of the father. The offspring of my heart is desire. Whatever I desire is dependent upon what I'm delighting myself in. And so when you delight yourself in the Lord, then the desires of the father become your desires. And so, so dreaming with God begins to just be delighting in the Lord. So I would just encourage you, put that back up there one more time, the, the picture. I would just encourage you to just begin dreaming with the Lord. Ask him, God, what, is it, what would that look like if I began to just believe that you wanted to be in the midst of my business to a greater degree? What, what does it look like for you to come into a greater degree of hope in my family, my marriage, my parenting? What does that look like and how I interact with technology in the world today? How I view sports and arts and media, government. What, Lord, what is it that you're calling me, that you placed me in a sphere of influence to be a hope carrier to? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I want to end with this last point. Number four is this. We are never too old to dream with God. Let me say that again, because some of you all in the back need to hear it. We are never too old to dream with God. See, see the world tells us that the dream trajectory starts with you're young, you got all kinds of dreams, and oh my gosh, you're full of, of vigor, and then as you get older, it just kind of goes downhill. Dreams just, just hit the floor. Here's the problem. My Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Come on. The Word of God says, the Word of God says something opposite. The Word of God says a dreaming trajectory is that the older you get, the more dreaming you have. I think the church needs to hear this. Why? Because, because what it means is this. The longer you spend with the Lord, the more you get to know him, the more you get to know his ways, his will, his purposes, his dreams. Things begin to change the longer you spend with him. And sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm older now, and so my dreaming days are over. Let me show you a guy who 
This wasn't the case. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. (laughs) That's a word over you today. Maybe you receive that in Jesus' name. You are now very old. The Lord just says that to you. Thanks, thanks, thank you, Lord. Um, But this is the key point. You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. What if we're wasting dreaming on the young? What if the older we get, the more free time we have, the more character we've built, the more finances we have to dream about what God wants to do? So what I want to do is we, we're going to end with a song here today, but I just want to pray, pray over you today. If, if you're just feeling like God is moving something in you, put that, put that, the, that picture up real quick. Thank you. Um, if you're in that place of just, I just want to begin to just pray a dream over you today. If you're in that place, I just want to encourage you, just, just place your hand over your chest. It's just in a place of just receiving. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that we would dream again. That we would see what can be in the midst of what is. That in these areas of culture, we're not just a part of it. We're placed carriers of hope to influence, to renew to restore and to rebuild and to represent Jesus into those areas of a culture. And so, Lord, as, as we're in a place of just hearing you, receiving, Lord, I pray that you would give fresh vision and dreams about what that might look like. If on Monday we go into work different because we're on mission, we're not just going to work not just taking a class. We're not just phoning it in. We realize that like we have a great cloud of witnesses watching, waiting, cheering us on with what we're going to do with the baton that we've been handed for the last lap. And that doesn't matter how old we are because I do believe we are in the last days. And so Jesus, may we run our race well and finish well taking the baton, taking the position, the place, everything that you've given into our hands and use it for your glory. I pray that you would do what only you can do as we give you only what we have in our hands. Lord, have your way in us, Jesus. Cause us to dream again in Jesus' name. Let's worship together.